0: our Savior, our Lord, and our life.
1: Dear ones, thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russon. I serve as the host and kind of the shepherd for my wild at heart friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How's retirement, man? It sounds like you're having a good time.
2: Never know how I worked a full-time job. I'm so busy.
1: Yeah, you know, I understand <laughs> it completely. Well, friends, if you've caught us for the first time in our podcast, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Pivotal Words or Phrases in Scripture. But, Frank, today's topic isn't even a word in Scripture. It's not in the Bible, but it's common in most conversations in the modern church. And it's this. Does a believer who has been born again, who's heaven-bound, does that person have two natures? And by that, I mean, are they still part sinful while they are being part holy? And, you know, I get the question because as I look at my behavior, I can ask the very same thing. So, Frank, this is confusing. And so why are we talking about this topic today? Why is this an important issue for us?
2: Well, John, it's not just in the arena of communication with people in the church. It's also in various Bible translations. They are using English words in their translation that are not directly from the Greek words, for example, sinful nature. There's no such Greek word in the Koine Greek Bible. So this is causing confusion. And we know from the Corinthian letters that confusion is not from God. And so we also know that Jesus made one of the most profound statements in the New Testament in the eighth chapter of John. We will come to know the truth and the truth shall make us free. And what a lot of people need to understand, all of us really, is that since that's true, There is a contrary thought, and that is that those who believe a lie will be in bondage. So, John, this is not just let's sit down and have a polite little theological discussion. This is time to pick up the armor of God, the sword of the word of truth, and understand not only what it says, but what it means so that the truth can be proclaimed and embraced and people can begin to live free. And all of this, John, is really based on the mind. We could sum it up with Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks within himself, so he shall be. And so if we're going to run around thinking, I'm a sinner, I'm a saint, I'm a wretch, I'm holy, that's going to be conflicting. That's going to be confusing, and it's going to be manifest in the way we live. We have got to get this issue settled once and for
1: all. Who are we? Well, Fred, as I think about the focus of Christ's work in coming and establishing the new covenant, his emphasis was on our identity, changing us from the kingdom of the devil to the kingdom of heaven, transplanting us, crucifying us, resurrecting us brand new. And so identity is critical to us. And it's an important thing that our father wants us to understand. You hit the nail on the head, Proverbs 23, seven, for as a man thinks in his heart, and the Amplified says it cool. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he will be in his behavior. And as I thought about that, I said, wow, that really nails it. Because what you believe about yourself, Frank, will drive how you act. And so if I believe I'm a sinner or what's usually the picture that's presented is sort of like the person with an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder, We've seen that picture a lot. We've also heard the analogy from the pulpit. I have. You have a bad dog and a good dog inside of you, and whichever one you feed is going to have the larger bark. It's a (laughs) funny analogy, but you get the picture. And so if I believe that part of my fundamental identity is that I am a sinner, that means I'm going to act like a sinner. And so when temptation comes and our enemy will make sure that it does, we're just going to roll over and say, well, it's hopeless. I'm helpless because I'm a sinner. I have to sin. And so, Frank, I look at this, that it paints a picture that as believers, as resurrected children of God, we're doomed to a life of sin. And Frank, I see a tension there that I just can't balance with scripture. So what's going on?
2: Well, John, you hit it on the head. You said some key words. You're helpless. I mean, after all, it's who you are and you can't be expected to act contrary to who you are. So if you're a sinner, you are helpless. And that then ushers in hopeless. I've been called to live a life that I can never really live because it's not who I am. And John, what it does is it negates the power of the truth. It sets us up to excuse our behavior. Yeah. Explain it away. (laughs) Yeah. Our sinful behavior is sort of just falling in line with what we believe. And we could use this kind of analogy, John. It sets the bar really low. Oh, yeah. And we lose the sense of horridness of sin. We almost anticipate it, expect it. As we said earlier, we excuse it away. Well, of course I sin. It's who I am. And so we need to bring the bar back up. And John, in the New Testament, Jesus set the bar so incredibly high, but it's a bar of reality. We have been made brand new, we have been made saints, we have been made the righteousness of God. And it's only when we really understand and embrace that, get that into our mind, then we can say, well, of course, then I can live a radically different, righteous life. And sin becomes a
1: horrid
2: distortion of who I really am.
1: That's right. Frank, we need to make sure our listeners understand that we are not saying that we don't sin. We are not sinless. We commit acts of sin, but what we're going to be talking about in this episode, and who knows, maybe another, is why we sin. What's the source? What's the cause? And we're starting from a point of dismissing that the cause is us, that we are Hmm. fundamentally flawed at some level, even though we're holy and perfect, like the scriptures say, we're still flawed and sinful. So we have no choice but to sin. But you know, Frank, when I think of this, I think of you mentioned a high bar that Jesus said when he said, in fact, John records his words twice, two different places. I give you a new commandment to love others as I have loved you. Well, this is absolutely impossible, Frank. And if we believe that we're sinners, then we have no choice but to look at those commands and they are imperatives from our savior. Look at those commands as something that's gonna keep us in the bondage of failure for the rest of our lives on this earth. Those commands are not the truth about us. They're shackling us to a mm-hmm. believing lies that we can never, ever do this. And so we get a picture of our savior as someone who sets bars so incredibly high and says, oh, you didn't make it. Oh, well, bless your heart. You tried so hard. <laughs> Good for mm-hmm. you. <laughs> uh, you know, and so this is the picture I get. And I see it everywhere. Uh, Mm And in in churches, in messages, in just believers' comments to each, how they encourage each other. I mean, what a mess. I'm not encouraged by that. I'm frustrated. And and I just want to say I'm I'm doomed. I can't ever do any better. But that's not true, is it?
2: No. And John, it's so important to clarify this. When we say he set the bar high, it's a bar that he cannot do anything but attain that bar because it's the righteousness of his own life. It is attainable, not unattainable. In fact, it's not even just that it's attainable. It's a statement of reality. He made us as righteous as he is. He says we are, 2 Corinthians five twenty one, the righteousness of God in him. So it's the bar that he sets so high is a statement of who we are. And so when we get a command like that, that says, Love as I have loved you, our good friend Juan Ortiz said it this way, and this is so powerful. He said, That is actually a promise. It's not just a command, it's a promise. Uh, He commands, love as I have loved you, because we have the promise that he will love in and through us, because he lives in union with our own spirit. As Major Thomas used to say, whenever you see an imperative, you need to remember that God is the dynamic of his own demand. And so when we look at it as a human being, we say, oh, we could never do that. But when we look at it as a saint of God who lives in union with God, with God living in him, say, well, of course, that's how we live. We are in Christ and Christ is in us.
1: You know, when I listen to you talk like that, Frank, it helps me see clearly how it's possible for us to live as Jesus described, we will live uh, with peace, with joy, with rest, with freedom, with love. None of that is possible if we believe that we're part sinners, but it is indeed possible. Indeed, it's reality if we believe that we are saints. So where we set our mind, my friends, is really the key to understanding this, isn't it?
2: Yes, John. And this is another important aspect of every command not only are they a promise of what Jesus will do in and through us, but every command is also a statement of identity. For example, don't steal. Well, we could look at that as a call to not do something, just a behavior. But we could also look at it as a statement of identity of who we really are. Don't steal. Well, of course not. I'm not a thief. I'm a lover. Don't commit adultery. That's not a behavior. It's a statement of identity. I'm not an adulterer. So if we looked at every command as a statement of identity, those commands would constantly be reminding us of who we are instead of a behavior we're supposed to perform. So, John, I think it's really important, maybe for our listeners, that we go to a passage maybe like 1 Corinthians 15, 22, in Adam all died. So in Adam, all became sinners. Romans 5, through the death of the one, many were made sinners. But then the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, in Christ, we were all made alive. And so in Christ, we were all made saints. And our listeners, of course, might be going, well, how did that happen? So maybe we ought to go to Romans 6 and find out about these two identities What do you think?
1: Sure, go ahead. Lead us there.
2: (laughs) Well, we have to understand that there's really only two kinds of people in the world. There are those that are in Adam and those that are in Christ. And so everyone in Adam is a sinner. You know, it's funny, John, when you ask people, what makes someone a sinner? The standard answer I get is, well, sinning. Sinning makes you a sinner. Well, my goodness, that means behavior determines identity. So quack like a duck, my friend. And then they quack. And well, does that make you a duck? No, the duck isn't a duck because it quacks. It quacks because it's a duck. It's the same way with sin. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. You sin because you're a sinner. So that's what's going on. So a sinner is simply somebody who's in Adam who died in Adam, who lost the life of God, and has not yet received the life of God back. So what did God do? Well, he died for our sins. That's wonderful. But that doesn't do anything to change us. It just simply took away what we did that was wrong. So in Romans 6, we have probably the most neglected truth in the Bible, where Paul says, don't you know? And the implication is You don't, and you should, that the moment we put our faith in Christ, we got immersed into Christ so that whatever happened to him happened to us. And so when he was crucified, we were crucified. God killed our old person that was in Adam, and then he buried that person. And then when Jesus rose that third day, we were resurrected as brand new creations in christ we are no longer in adam we are now in christ we are no longer a sinner we are now a saint and that's what paul in the new testament says not paul to the sinners at philippi paul to the sinners at ephesus but he writes to them and says paul to the saints at philippi to the saints at ephesus and even to the carnal corinthians he said paul To the saints. This is who we now are, even though sometimes we might not act like who we are.
1: (laughs) Indeed. You know, Frank, when you were talking, my mind is running. Of course, it always runs. My mouth runs too sometimes, but (laughs) but my mind was running. And, uh, you know, so many believers, uh, and I, I fell into this boat as well, believe that the main reason Jesus came was to die on the cross and forgive our sins. Okay, so if that's the case, and all my sins were forgiven, then where's the focus? The focus is on sin. And so if Jesus came to forgive my sin, I'm setting my mind on sin. And it's almost as if the idea of sin, it's an obstacle. He had to get it out of the way so he can do what he really wanted to do which is to make his home in us. And dying on the Mm -hmm. cross was the only way he can do it because he had to make us (laughs) inable. He he had to take the sin out of us, take that sin nature out, and then put a new spirit in us that was compatible with his spirit. And so Mm -hmm. he could make his home in us. So that changes us to the very core, Frank. It makes the sins we choose to do I remember it. I committed a sin once about four years ago. <laughs> Just kidding. But it makes the sins that we choose to do acts that are inconsistent with who we are. So we still choose to sin, but it's not because the sin is arising from within us. Mm -hmm. The sin is just a thought and we're choosing to bite that thought. So this really changes or impacts how we look at ourselves and how we look at how we navigate through life, doesn't it?
2: Absolutely, John. You know, it makes sin hideous because it is so foreign and so contrary and antithetical to who we are. If we're just sinners then sin becomes almost like an obligation, you know, to live like who we are. But if we're saints, sin becomes such a distortion of reality for us. And, you know, John, it was interesting what you said, and this is really a big issue. You said if the issue is just on forgiveness, then the focus in our lives is going to be on the sin that we've been forgiven of. But A friend of ours, you know this man, puts it this way, Jesus did not come for the express purpose of dying for your sins. He came to establish a relationship with you, and dying for your sins was the means by which to get that relationship. And so, John, this lifts it to even a bigger agenda on the part of God, that it It was to make us brand new and right, and that's wonderful, but it lifts it even greater than that so that he, the right one, could live in such intimacy with us that he could actually live inside of us and through us. And so John, dying for our sins was to establish relationship, which is the experience of love and kindness and desire to please. And that's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not some moral external code that would conform us into something we aren't, but an actual internal desire to so love the one who loves us that we would naturally express who he made us in the person and work of his son, who we already are. It's all about
1: intimate love. Yeah, and you know, Frank, maybe we could clarify that verse by saying it just a different way. Because you love me, Mm -hmm. you will keep my commandments. So that takes this, almost a threat. Hey, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. But if you don't love me, you're not going to keep my commandments. And so it's not a threat. It's a promise. Because you love me, that will be manifest in your desire to keep my commandments. So it, it changes the way we look at ourselves. It changes the way we look at the sins that we choose to commit, that they're foreign to who we are as believers. Well, I said the word foreign, and I want to sort of wrap up with this and and close off this episode because this whole topic that we've been just beginning to touch on is so foreign to the minds of of many of us. I still struggle with it. And so this is gonna be different. We're gonna have to wrestle with this because it's so mainstream to believe that we're a sinner. But you know, so this opens up The whole concept of where personal warfare in the trenches is going to be important for us because we're going to have to wrestle with what we believed all these years that turns out to be a lie and wrestle to accept the truth when we shift our focus from ourselves which is where the sin focus comes from we shift the focus from ourselves And we say, wow, what does scripture say about this? Mm. And I think, my friend, next time we unpack this, we're going to do some deeper dives into scripture and look at what it says, the root of all these beliefs and what the scripture really says. Because, Frank, that is where we're going to get our true compass, isn't it? And I'll let you wrap up with this.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yes, we have to believe what God says about us. Not what we say about ourselves, not what the church says about us, not what the world says about us, and not what men who have lots of titles before their names tell us. The only authority is God, and he wrote a word so it would be down and on paper once and for all what he says about us. You know, John, it's interesting, but, you know, we just moved and we're in a new neighborhood and we uh, started a Bible study. And this week, we went throughout the New Testament showing what God had done for us in Christ and that he had made us saints. And so we went to Ephesians 1, to Philippians 1, to Colossians 1, to 1 Corinthians 1. And we just went throughout the New Testament and calling to mind before these dear people, that God, the Holy Spirit, in his written word, calls us saints. One of them addressed, well, aren't there passages where we're called sinners? And I said, oh, absolutely. Two in James 4 and one in First Timothy 1. So we addressed those and explained them. And then I said to the people, I said, but even if we didn't have an explanation, which we did... <laughs> It's 58 times in the New Testament we're called saints and only three times we're called sinners. What's God trying to tell us? And it was fascinating. This one woman who shared at this point, she said, Oh my gosh, God calls me a saint. I was raised in a denomination where a saint was only one of those people who had lived such an incredible life that they were the only ones who could be called saints. And I was hopeless. I had to give up. I could never be called a saint. And so I quickly said to her, yeah, and, you know, it's funny, but that particular denomination doesn't name anyone a saint, until two or three hundred years after they died, and there's no one around who could uh, point <laughs> fingers <laughs> that they had done some things not in harmony with being a saint. And we ended the night by going around the room saying, I'm St. Frank. Who are you? I'm St. Susie. I'm St. Tom. I'm St. Cara," Just to reaffirm what God says about us. And it's wow.
1: glorious. Cool it? stuff. Well, friends, I hope this topic has piqued your interest because it certainly has gotten Frank and me kind of riled up uh, because it's an important one. We've got to know who we are. And of course, we're children of God. You know, we're, we're heirs. But you know, it goes deeper than that. It goes to our very core that we are saints who occasionally and out of character choose to sin. But we mm. are at our core saints you've been listening to frank and john on the our resolute hope podcast we invite you to check out our website www.ourresolutehope.com you'll find lots of resources there check us out also on some social media outlets facebook instagram our growing youtube channel and of course like and subscribe so you won't miss any new installments and we're putting lots of stuff up there even as we speak and as we close frank it never gets old We close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter 6 that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. What a great word, an anchor, because the world is like an ocean swirling. We have an anchor for our souls. It's a living hope. It's a blessed hope. It's a resolute hope, unmoving. So today, choose to grab onto that hope in the swirling life that you live and choose Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at ourresolutehope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.